Well, I'm excited. This morning we're going to begin a new series. It's going to take us through about six weeks. Series called The Other 167. The idea is simple. There are 168 hours in a week. We usually spend approximately one of those here together. Where is the church for the other 167? What are we doing as the church for the other 167? We're going to take a few weeks to look into that and to discover what life is like for the church in the other 167. And this morning I want us to begin with uh, just, just really the basics as we're thinking about life beyond the stained glass. I want us to think together this morning about who is the church. As I thought through uh, the, the church spending 167 hours outside beyond the stained glass, I thought we really need to start with a firm understanding of who is the church. Notice we said who instead of what. What is a, what is a thing? What is a place? But the church is a who. The church is the people. And so let's think together about who the church really is. 168 hours a week. I want to invite your attention as we begin to Matthew chapter 16. If you have your copy of scripture with you, turn with me there to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to begin in just a moment at verse 16. The scriptures give us a lot of different names and descriptions of the church. What I want to do this morning is just share with you a few of them. We're not going to cover all of them. That would, that we could do a whole series on all of them. But I do want to cover just a few of the names or the titles or the descriptions of the church that we find in the New Testament. And in order for us to do that, we would begin this morning with the name believers in Christ. Who is the church? Well, first of all, the church is believers in Christ. Actually, you are not a part of the church until you give your life to Jesus Christ. Now, you can, you can participate and be attendant and, and you can, you can uh, be a part of everything that this local congregation does, but you're not really a part of the church in the fullest sense of the meaning. In the New Testament concept of church, the way you become a part of the church is by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone and the foundation of the church. And so when we trust in him, we become a part of his people, if you will, a part of his church. And so who is the church? Well, the first answer is believers in Christ. Let me show you in Matthew chapter 16. There's a great story, and we refer to it often because it is of such great importance. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and he says, hey, guys, You've been with me a while. I've been out doing my thing. I've been teaching. I've been doing miracles. I've been showing folks uh, how to love. And, uh, so who are the people saying that I am? 
Oh, well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back. Uh, some say you're Elijah. Uh, some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other great prophets. And Jesus kind of thinks through that and he processes that. I think what he's really doing is setting the stage. He's, he's asking that question so the disciples begin processing it. And then he can bring home the real question. And that is, instead of who everybody else thinks, what about you? Who do you say I am? And we pick up that story then in Matthew chapter 16 at verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We talked about recently the fact that the word Christ in Greek is the very same word as Messiah in Hebrew. They are exactly the same word. They mean exactly the same thing. And so here... Peter is saying, you are the Messiah. You're the one that all of Israel has been looking forward to all of that time. You're the, 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 the chosen one of God who has come to bring salvation to God's people. You are Messiah. Not only are you Messiah in the sense of a prophet, but you are Messiah and you are the son of the living God. The very first person to ever be able to say that out loud. In all of the history of mankind, from the very beginning, no one ever got to say that until, until Peter. Simon Peter gets to voice it. What a declaration, what a proclamation, a statement of faith. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. By the way, Jonah means John. Bar means son. So it's, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Blessed are you, Simon Johnson. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. You didn't figure this out, Peter, or at this time, Simon. You didn't figure that out on your own. I mean, let's be honest, Simon, you ain't that smart. No, that was revealed by the Father in heaven. He gave you the truth and allowed you to be the one to speak it. Verse 18 and I tell you, you are Peter. Jesus had already, by the way, had already kind of given him that nickname. We actually see it earlier in the Gospels. He had already kind of given him a nickname of Peter. But now he says, you are Peter. And from that moment on, Scripture refers to him with that name. You are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. The two words there are very similar. Peter is Petros and rock is Petra. And he says, it's kind of a play on words. Petros is a, a small stone. Petra is this big, uh, like a rocky cliff. And so he says, I'm going to call you Little Rock. You're going to be Little Rock. 
Because the statement you just made is the Petra, the big rock, the foundation upon which I will build my church. Now understand very clearly, very carefully, he does not say, I'm going to build my church on you. That's a misunderstanding. That understanding came to be because there was already a system put into place, and then folks in that system tried to go back to Scripture and prove the system they already had. What this actually says is, Peter said, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and Jesus says, you're right, God told you that, and it is upon that that I'm going to build my church. It is upon the fact that Jesus is Messiah, that he is the Son of God. It is upon that fact that he builds his church. And so if we're going to understand who is the church, we first understand the church is believers in Christ. And so he says, he says in verse 18, I tell you, you're Peter, on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. By the way, that is also the very first time that the word church, ekklesia in Greek, the very first time that that church is, uh, shows up in the scriptures. It's the first time that it's used. There's no concept of, of church until Jesus says, I'm about to start something new. And when I start something new, it's going to be based on the fact that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I'm going to begin this ecclesia, church. That word ecclesia means to call out. Did you know that? Did you know that's what it means to be in the church? It doesn't mean that you walked the aisle or signed on a card. To be the church means that God Almighty has called you out of. He's called you out of the world to make you something different. He's called you out of your old life to give you a new life, make you a new creation. He's called you out of death and sin and made you alive in Christ. To be the church is to be one of those who has been called out. Ecclesia. The church is believers in Christ. But not only that, as we continue to look through the scriptures, through the New Testament, we learn that the, the, the church is not only believers, but it is the body of Christ. If we're going to fully understand how the church lives out being church for the other 167, we have to understand that we are actually literally physically the body of Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that he is the head of the body, the church. Clearly defined, the church is the body. He is the head. We are the body of Christ. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is not the only place that we find this language. We find it in Romans and in Corinthians as well, that the church is the body of Christ. In other words, when Jesus when Jesus died on the cross, they put him in a grave. After he was in the grave, he came back to life. After he came back to life, he ascended back up to the right hand of the Father. He ascended in bodily form 
to back up to heaven. Now, if he is seated at the right hand of God at this very moment, then how is he here? He is here in two ways. We understand two, uh, there are two ways that we use that phrase. When we say he is with us, we are usually really referring to the Holy Spirit. He is with us in his spirit. But he is also here on earth at this moment through the church. We literally are his physical presence in the world today. We sing and talk about we are his hands and we are his feet. And because that song was so overused and it got so old so quickly, we almost kind of throw the theology out. Don't throw the theology out just because you stop singing the song. The reality is still there. We are his hands. We are his feet. If anybody is going to speak for Christ, it is the church. We are his mouth. If anybody is going to minister for Christ, it is the church. We are the physical presence of Christ in the world today. We are believers in Christ. We are the body of Christ. And then we also see in Scripture that we are light and salt. We are light and salt. What is light and salt? Light and salt are in and of themselves not that much, but they have an influence, an impact on their surroundings. And it is that which makes them powerful. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say to his disciples, y'all try to get better and become salt. He doesn't say, go to Bible studies and work on it so that you can eventually have an influence on the world around you. He says, you're it. And by the way, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. You see, he says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You are it. Without you, there will not be any salt to make an influence, to make an impact on the world. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they can see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He says, you are the salt and the light. Now, if salt is going to make any difference in the meal, it actually has to touch the meat. If light is going to be noticeable at all, it has to actually enter into the realm of darkness. In other words, the church cannot be the church one hour out of the week here closed up in security behind the stained glass windows. The church is intended to be salt and light for the other 167 as well. And if we're going to make a difference out there, we have to actually be out there. The salt has to come in contact with the meat. The light has to be in the presence of the darkness for it to make any difference. 
So we cannot hide ourselves and and protect ourselves and and look at the world through rose-colored stained glass windows. We have to go beyond the stained glass. Be the church, even for the other 167. Scripture talks about the church in terms of being believers, in terms of being the body of Christ. We understand that we are the salt and the light. It also speaks of the church as in terms of a living house of God. Now this is interesting because uh, we, we use the term house of God to mean the, the building, the structure. I even do that regularly. I'd say, well, let's stand and welcome one another to the house of the Lord, you know. And that, that's what we mean, the house of the Lord. That's, this is the place where we meet and we meet him. And so we consider this his house. But in the New Testament, there is a reference in 1 Peter that moves beyond the physical structure. In 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 5, you yourselves are like living stones, not brick and mortar, not metal beams, but you are living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. A house is a place where one resides. So where does God reside today? He resides in his people. And together we each come as a living stone. And those stones are put together in in order to form a spiritual house. Notice the next phrase there. To be a holy priesthood. Now that's a powerful description of the church. A holy priesthood. You see, most of us think that church is a, is a one-hour experience where we show up and the priests, and I'm using that term to include pastors, music leaders, we show up for one hour and the priests lead us. The Scripture's view is completely different. Scripture's view is that we are the priests. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Scripture says that my job is to prepare you to do the ministry. Isn't that interesting? Because in America today, that's all different. We pay someone to do the ministry of the church. Scripture says the pastor's job is to train you to do the ministry of the church. We together are a priesthood. And that priesthood is defined in this this verse as living stones that have been brought together to form a spiritual house. Church is made up of living stones who are priests. Another way that we can understand the church, another description that's used in the New Testament is that we can understand the church as the family of God. We are the family of God. Galatians, I love Galatians where it emphasizes that we have been adopted into God's family. If if you have accepted Christ 
And by that I don't mean that, that, that you went through the process, but I mean you personally trusted in Christ. You, you entered into a life-changing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When that happened, according to Galatians, God the Father adopted you into his family. And not only did he adopt you, but he made you an heir. What he has now, he will share with his children for the rest of eternity. It's also clarified for us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Wow. What is the motivating factor of his turning us into family? You see the beginning of the verse? See what kind of love the Father has given to us? Not one of us deserves to be called a child of God. Every single one of us rejected him and turned our backs on him. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You don't deserve to be connected to him. You're short of his glory. But because of his great love, look at that, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called, not a name we can take for ourselves, it can only be a name given to us, that we are called by him children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we need to do a better job of remembering who we are. If you believe in Christ and have trusted him personally, you are my brother or my sister. Period. You talk funny, you look funny, you dress funny, you were raised in a different background, your skin is a different color than mine, your name has too many consonants in it. But we're family if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. The church needs to stop communicating and functioning like a political party. Right? The political parties are always at each other. They're always pointing out their differences. They're arguing and fighting, even within the party. They'll argue and fight and pick and nitpick. And, and the church needs to stop buying into the world's way of relating. We are not a country club. We're not an organization. We're not a party. We're a family. And God Almighty is our Father. That should define how we live, the other 167. Who is the church? 
Well, we are believers in Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are light and salt. We are a living house of God. We are the family of God. And we are a community. We are a community of believers. From the beginning, the church was was founded on faith in Christ, and then it was made alive by the presence of the Holy Spirit, bringing those believers into a community. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit shows up. Holy Spirit shows up and they all become alive in Christ in a powerful way and he brings them together in community. In Acts chapter 2 at verse 46, it describes that early church experience and it says, day by day, attending the temple. Wait, what? They went to church every day? In order to be biblical, we'll be here tomorrow at 1015, ready to go. And Tuesday and Wednesday. You see, the difference is they didn't see church as one hour. They saw themselves as church. And so they were church for 168. And it says they got together every day at the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They had community. They shared their lives. They opened their homes to one another. They shared meals together. Church is community. Church is calling each other, hey, how are you? Oh, it's only Tuesday, but, but, but we're still church. You know, it, It's Thursday, but that doesn't mean we're not church. What's going on? It's spending time together. It's going on vacation together. It's finding a life group in which you can connect to brothers and sisters. Church is community that is 168 hours out of the week. The New Testament knows nothing of individuals sitting in a room for one hour a week. The church is not just listening to someone else sing or preach. The church is brothers and sisters in Christ who share life. So we begin here as we look at the other 167. We have to begin with this understanding of who the church is. The church is not a bunch of individuals who get in the same room for one hour. The church are the believers in Christ, the body of Christ, light and salt in the world, a living house of God, the family of God, and we are community. 